The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And so it deserves our utmost and undivided attention. Let us hear God's word. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when, you were, when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that there are some among you, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So in this reading of our God's word this morning, let us ask uh, his blessing on it. Our gracious and our merciful God, we know that you are great and that you are greatly to be praised. And we long to know you your works, your attributes, your character. And we also know that it is these that you have recorded for us in your word. You have preserved through the ages so that each generation, ours included, might come afresh and behold your grace and your love and your power. And so as we come to your word, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts to behold its treasures, that you would allow us to gaze upon your beauty and your splendor and that you would humble us, that you would encourage us, and that you would strengthen us in Jesus Christ, whom we meet in your word. Amen. You may be seated. There's a verse at the center of our passage. It says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And this verse has a long history of being appropriated by political agendas. Uh, would you believe that no less than Vladimir Lenin quoted uh, a version, at least, of this verse in his 1917 work, The State and Revolution, uh, saying, he who does not work shall not eat. So in Lenin's view, kids, you can ask your parents who, who Lenin was, all resources, he was a leader of, of early communism and socialism, and he believed all resources belonged to the state and were only to be distributed to the citizens of the state if they contributed to the collective good. And so that's how socialism views Paul's words here in 2 Thessalonians 3. Now, ironically, this same sentiment 
is equally championed by those who vigorously oppose socialism. So if you've ever read a Ayn Rand, uh, who fled Soviet, the Soviet Union and, and fought against uh, socialism and communism and wrote books like Atlas Shrugged, you, you might know that in, in her works, there's absolutely no place whatsoever for charity. And so the protagonists in Atlas Shrug swear this oath to each other where they say, I swear by my life and my love of it <laughs> that I will never live for the sake of another man nor ask another man to live for mine. So for those, for Ayn Rand and those, every person must absolutely earn their own keep. There is no place for charity or kindness. They're spurned. They're... Uh, repudiated, and they are rejected. Under their system, the only possible reason anyone could ever be in need is laziness, and they deserve to starve. So who's right? <laughs> Vladimir Lenin or Ayn Rand? Who's rejecting God's word, and who's submitting to it? Well, it might be no surprise to you uh, that both have completely missed the point and, and replaced true godliness with a cheap uh, imposter that's man-centered. So we, we want to be different. We want to go a bit deeper. We want to go behind politically motivated agendas because what we have here in 2 Thessalonians 3 isn't about politics. It's about the gospel. And it's about our identity as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's about our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ. And so really, as we, as we look at this passage this morning, uh, I, I could summarize it in this way. In imitation of Jesus, every Christian, every Christian is called to contribute and to serve others as he or she is able, because refusing to do so is a dereliction of duty. Now, that might sound a little extreme. I'll explain why, I promise. And as we, we want to dive in, and we're going to look at three things. First, we want to understand the Bible and its view of the poor. Uh, then we want to see how we fulfill our responsibilities and how that is a gospel issue. And then finally, uh, we will see that this means that refusing to contribute, refusing to serve others, is actually a rejection, then, of your Christian identity. And so that's what we just want to work our way through uh, this morning. So let's just start by, by laying a foundation of how the Bible views the poor and the responsibility of God's people toward those in need. Uh, the Bible is abundantly clear that God has a heart for the poor. Uh, the Mosaic Law made a number of provisions for the poor. Uh, provisions that were wholly unique and uncommon in those days and set Israel apart from all the surrounding nations. So in Deuteronomy 26, for example, uh, God declared that his portion, the tithe that all of Israel was to bring to the temple, God declared that that was not only to provide for the priest who labored in the temple, but he went on to say that it was also there 
to care for the widows and the orphans in Israel. In fact, in, in Psalm 68, God so identifies himself with the poor that, that he says, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. He says, that's who I am. That's my name. That's my identity. But it wasn't just the tithe that was to be used to care for the poor in Israel. You probably remember that they had very specific commands about how they harvested their crops. So in Deuteronomy 24, uh, God said that um, when things fall as they're harvesting, they weren't to, to scoop it all up. Those things were to be left for the widows and the orphans to come and to gather. And then, and then in Leviticus, he says, in fact, you're not to harvest up to the edges. You're to leave a border, a boundary of unharvested grain for the widows and the orphans. In other words, God said that caring for the poor was a major part of his concern, and therefore it was a major obligation of those who belonged to him, his people. And so it became deeply embedded into Israel's identity. It's how God taught them to think, to live. So deeply so that you might remember uh, Paul's words in, in, in Galatians chapter 2, when he's rehearsing how he first went to Jerusalem and met with those who were apostles before them. And I love how he ends this. He says, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles as they to the circumcised to the Jews. And then he says this, the only thing they asked us to re was to remember the poor. And Paul's like, well, that was the very thing I was eager to do. For them, that's the identity. The apostles are like, you are called to go to the Gentiles, but remember who we are as God's people. We care for the poor. Paul says, of course. This concern was not far from Jesus' heart. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Give to those who beg from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Beloved, I don't say this as a chastisement. You are a generous congregation. Every month, I'm, I'm blown away, and I'm blessed when I see the diaconal offering. That's good. This, you can't read the Bible and not see God's heart for the poor. It's how God is and how he wants us to be. But we're left asking, so how do you harmonize all of that with Paul's words in our passage? Is he refusing to be generous? Well, Paul's addressing a certain kind of person in our passage. And once we see that, we'll see that, that refusal to work is actually a gospel issue. The word translated idle in, in verse 6 and 7 and 11, well, idle or idleness, it's the same word. But it's not the typical word for laziness or just sitting around. Uh, something more is going on here. The word Paul chooses to use here is actually most typically used in the ancient world like in a military setting for someone who is irresponsible, for someone who has abandoned his post. 
Paul's talking about someone here who is shamefully negligent of his duties and his obligations. The, the military term is dereliction of duty. So what duties does he have in mind? Well, that, that becomes quickly clear, doesn't it? He reminds them in verse 8 that he and his associate, associates didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it. And they said, we weren't freeloaders. I'm not sure what the Greek word for freeloader is, but uh, he's, he's saying we, we took care of our own needs. And, and he said similar things uh, to, to those in Ephesus during his farewell speech in Acts 20. Uh, he says similar things in 1 Corinthians. Paul, in other words, this is a common theme in Paul. This is his standard practice. And he's also quick to point out, he's like, don't get me wrong, as apostles we had every right to require payment for our labors, verse 9. And he says the same thing to Timothy about ministers in particular congregations. He says, let elders who rule well be, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves its wages. He says, you let, you let the ox who's treading your grain eat the grain it's treading, <laughs> at least some of it. The laborer deserves his wages. That The temple priests are paid for their labors. Paul's saying that's standard, absolutely. Paul and his associates had the right to demand to be paid, but they didn't. And why? Well, he tells them it was for their benefit, to show them how they were to live, to be an example to follow. He forwent his rights in order to show the congregation how they were to live. But for Paul, and you see this really in 1 Corinthians 11 so clearly, for Paul, um, being an example never stood by itself. He, you know, he, he never uh, taught them, you know, what you want to do is be like Paul. In fact, he rebuked that kind of mentality. He always rooted his example in the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What example is he thinking of? Well, it's what we heard in our declaration of pardon today. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, did not come into this world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is how Jesus described his whole coming to earth. It was to put others before himself and to serve them. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, uh, he even describes that service in terms of poverty. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And he's not talking about earthly riches. He's talking about heavenly riches. In other words, the gospel by which we are saved is about sacrificial service of others. That's what Jesus did. If Jesus came to be served and not to serve, we would still be dead in our sins and our trespasses. This, for Paul, is a gospel issue. It's rooted in how Jesus has loved us. It's how Paul was saved. It's how we were saved. 
And so it has to change how Paul lives, and it has to change how we live. This is tied to, to Paul's identity as one who belongs to Jesus Christ. How, how can you, he's thinking, be shown such generosity and then live a selfish life? If you're possessed by the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ, then you will not live a life expecting others to serve you. You will seek to serve them. And yet there were some in Thessalonica who were not living this way. They were refusing to work, and they were expecting others to put bread on their table. And Paul is saying, that is a rejection of your Christian identity. Now, there are very, uh, various theories about why some were refusing to work. Uh, perhaps they believed the reports that Jesus had returned already, and they saw no reason to keep working. Or, or perhaps they thought Jesus might return at any minute, and so they didn't see the, the reason to waste time punching the clock. If you know, Jesus is going to be here at lunch, why go into the office this morning? But whatever the reason, what is clear is that some in the church were refusing to work. And that left them with a lot of time on their hands. And they became busybodies. They, they, they were minding everyone else's business, gossiping and causing grief and strife and hardship. And it's against this that Paul says in verse 12 that everyone should do their work quietly earn, and earn their own living. Now that's not new. This really goes back a long way in the Bible to, to Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve had sinned, one of the very first things God told them was by the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return to the ground. In other words, hard work, laboring uh, for your keep is part and parcel of living in this world. Rest comes in heaven, until then we labor. And, and let's be honest, hard work is, is actually good for us. One of the most destructive things you could ever do for someone is not make them work or contribute. Have you ever met someone who never had a job because they lived on a trust fund? Such people become entitled. They are absolutely miserable to be around. And it's shameful. Hard work is good. Paul even goes so far to tell the Ephesians that they should work hard, so hard that they have extra enough to share with those in need. There's that heart for the poor again that just bleeds into Paul's words. In other words, there's, there's no expectation, there's no room in the Bible for God's people to freeload off of each other. In fact, refusing to provide for one's wife was grounds for divorce in Exodus. 
This is why Paul can say that any man who refuses to provide for his family is worse than a non-believer. And then, and then he says, and he has denied the faith, 1 Timothy 5.8. Because how, how is refusing to provide for, for your family a denial of the faith? Well, it's a rejection of that Christian identity as one who belongs to Jesus Christ who has provided for us. You can see how this all fits together. Now, it's here we need to be really careful, specifically in how uh, Lenin misquoted this passage, misquoted this passage. You know, he said, he who does not work shall not eat. Now, if you're listening carefully, you realize that he left out a very important word. Paul said, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That word willing is key. For Paul, this is about willingness. It's about the heart. Paul is not talking about someone who is disabled and unable to work. Paul is not talking about someone who is willing to work but can't find employment. What he is talking about is those who are simply unwilling to do their share with the expectation that others will make up the difference and, and take care of them. In modern terms, he's talking about those who are entitled. And, and, and we live in an age of entitlement, don't we? Uh, we have people who think they should get paid generously, regardless of the quality work they do. We have people who think they should be able to uh, just not show up, and there will be no consequences. We have people who actually believe that there should be guaranteed income, regardless of whether or not people are willing to work. This is an attitude that Paul is saying is a rejection of our Christian identity. This is the attitude that says, I'm here to be served, not to serve. It's, re it's a rejection of the example of Paul, and it's a rejection of the example of Jesus. So let me ask some hard questions. <laughs> Do you spend more time complaining about how others have failed to serve you or asking how you can serve others? Young men, are you willing to spend time, so much time on video games that it interferes with work, with family time, or with serving others? It's not how Paul lived. It's, and, and that's because it's not how Jesus lived. Women, the Bible does not command you to contribute by having a job outside the home, but by serving the family. Children, do you help or do you expect your parents to do everything for you? Do the words, why should I do that, ever escape your lips? Everyone can do something to help. Expecting others to do everything is simply rebellion against God's word. Now we do also need to be careful of another extreme. Luke 10 records a very famous story for us when our Lord went and had dinner with two sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. And Martha hustled and Martha bustled. 
No one needed to tell Martha that if you will not work, you will not eat. <laughs> she worked hard. But she found her identity in being busy. And she didn't know how to slow down and just enjoy Jesus. Paul's not encouraging us to be Martha's. He's simply telling us not to neglect our responsibilities and our duties. And by doing that, make turn other people into Martha's because they never have time to slow down and enjoy too. So he says we are not to grow weary of doing good, of doing our part, verse 13. And then he makes prohibitions on the church. Those who refuse to work, again... This is about a choice, not an opportunity. Those who refuse to work are not to receive diaconal help. Our deacons are, are here to, to come alongside of people when hard times hit. This is why we, we give so generously. Not that we, we can be more generous, but we, this is why we give. This is why next Sunday we'll take two offerings. It's so that our deacons can come alongside of those who are truly in need. But, but the scriptures say, but if someone's refusing to work, you're not to come alongside and help them. Not in that way, at least. Deacons are called to be generous. They are called to help those who are truly in need. But they are required by God to have expectations for those who they help. And refusing to do so is disobedience. But then Paul goes on and says, we are not to associate with those who refuse to work. And that term, refuse to associate, might, might uh, uh, ring uh, associations elsewhere. It's, it's the same word, uh, phrase that, that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 5 when he talks about church discipline. And that's what he's talking about here. That refusal to contribute, expecting others to do everything for you, is serious business. He says it's shameful. He wants that so they might be ashamed. Verse 14. Shame's interesting. We're rightly told not to shame people, not to use it as a weapon. But that doesn't mean all shame is invalid. There are things that God says are shameful. Things for which people should feel ashamed. Rejecting God's commands, expecting others to work hard so that you don't have to, is shameful. But we can't think that, that the goal there is ever to leave them in their shame. That's never, ever, ever God's goal. The goal is always repentance, to return to Jesus, to be forgiven, and to have that shame covered. That's why Paul says we're not treating them as enemies, we're treating them as brothers. The goal here is, is to be washed whiter than snow. And out of that, to then turn into love and to serve others. To reflect Christ's love to each other. That's what this passage is all about. It's not this callous 
rejection of compassion and charity and generosity. We're, we're people of extremes. And so it's easy for those of a more conservative persuasion to look at everyone who, who's in need and accuse them of being lazy. That is so far from a biblical attitude. I, I shudder for those who would utter those words. But on the other hand, there are those of a more progressive persuasion that speak of income as a human right, regardless of whether or not someone is willing to work. And that, too, is a rejection of God's word. The Bible will not allow us to imbibe on such simplistic formulations. Rather, we need to work hard to be generous but also call people in the church who to uh, call to account those who are in the church who refuse to work. I'd like to bring just one final word of caution. If this is a gospel issue, if this is about living in light of what Jesus has done for us, well, that means we can't be stingy. Nor can we think of ourselves as being self-made and that we are the Savior. We're simply following the example of our Savior. And all we have is because of Him. As we come to the Lord's table in just a minute, we will eat something for which we did not labor. Something that we could never earn. This passage is not saying we are self-made and we earn our salvation. So far from it. The Lord's Supper reminds us that our Savior, our Lord, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He laid down that life on the cross to purchase something that none of us could ever afford were we to work day and night for all eternity. When we are generous with each other, we are simply reflecting the love that we have been shown. In other words, we are at our best when we understand that we are all poor, we are all needy, and we are all recipients of charity. And that should humble us as we seek to serve others because we do so out of gratitude not out of pride. So let us come and let us eat bread for which we did not labor. As Isaiah said, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Praise be to our God who has purchased for us all we could ever need. I'd like to ask Pastor Isaac and the elders to come forward as we receive the Lord's Supper this morning. Lord, you are so generous. You have been kind to us beyond all we could ask or imagine. And we long to be like you, generous, wise. Give us hearts that are free from entitlement. Give us hearts that delight in working quietly and earning our own living. And let us do hard work so that we might have extra to share with those who are in need. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of the apostles. We ask that you would help us live our lives in light of the gospel. 
In light of who you are, we pray. Amen.